0: We are continuing in our exposition of Exodus, and um, today we are going to cover about the first half of chapter 12, verses 1 to 28, and this is um, a bit of a pause in the narrative of Exodus, and we have some instructions on the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, um, two events which are not duplicated, even though they are memorialized in the life of history. They are memorialized about this specific night, the night of the 10th plague. So please follow along as I read aloud. Again, I'm going to use the word Yahweh in place of the word of all caps, Lord, in your Bibles. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is Yahweh's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am Yahweh. The blood shall be for you a sign on the houses where you are, And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to Yahweh throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall keep, excuse me, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your host out out of the land of Egypt, Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is, that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts for the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning." For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, Yahweh will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that Yahweh will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of Yahweh's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As Yahweh had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Father, we ask you to give your blessing on the reading and preaching of your word. Feed us from manna on high, from honey out of the rock. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, this is no doubt a continuation of the story, even though it is a bit of an interruption with this heavy section of instruction. Probably not areas that we typically think we're going to do some devotional material out of when so many rules and principles are put down. But this is the foundation of the cross of Christ. And in fact, the Lord's table, which we take uh, every Sunday. Goes back thousands of years. This is, of course, during the fateful, dreaded night of the 10th plague where Yahweh had previously warned Israel and Pharaoh that he will come down and strike the firstborn of the land in Egypt. But he says there in chapter 11, he will make a distinction between Israel and Egypt. He will not have even a dog growl against the people of Israel. And this passage actually tells us how God makes a distinction from Israel and Egypt. Does he just omnisciently and omnipotently say the destroyer is going to sweep over Goshen where Israel is living, like he did with the previous plagues, the locusts, the pestilence, the hail, no, he's actually not going to do that. The, the dreaded nature of the tenth plague isn't just that it is actually um, Yahweh smiting the firstborn, but there really is no distinction made unless proper responses are followed. The story will come, and the only thing that will separate Israel from Egypt is a lamb. That is the only thing that will separate Israel and Egypt. Next week, when we cover 29 to the end of the chapter, we'll read a verse that says, there was not a house where someone was not dead. But there was a house in which in every single home something was dead. Was either a firstborn or was a lamb. This is a dreadful, dreadful plague. And we we learned last week Yahweh is not swift to kill. He is not quick to kill. He has been actually quite kind in showing Pharaoh his power through non lethal methods. And even in the hail, he told them, get your servants in, get your livestock in, or they will die. But here, Yahweh is doing what he said he would do. He's making known his power to Pharaoh and to Moses. Pharaoh in Egypt, Moses and Israel. So in this passage, we have the firstborn of Egypt, well, killed, and the the Israel's firstborn being saved by a lamb and observing the Passover. And then also we have a second deliverance, which is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, preserving Israel as they are pushed out of Egypt. So they're given two rituals. Two rituals. We don't think highly of rituals. But they were given two rituals, the Passover, which is a one day celebration feast, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is a week long. And these rituals are intimately tied to their actual deliverance, where that if they did not actually observe them, they did not have deliverance. If they did not slaughter the lamb, their firstborn would be dead. If they did not remove leaven, they were cut off out of Israel. Rituals matter. They matter. Today, we think pretty low of rituals, signs, symbols, or maybe we think too highly of them. If this occurred, if Exodus 12 occurred today and we were Israel, we'd probably think oh, great, we're out of here we're going to be saved from the egyptians and the cruelty and making bricks and the slave labor and all that stuff but do we really have to like go through the motions of the passover i mean could you just save us like without doing all that stuff we are ritualist people we think the lord's table the means of grace <laughs> often it's just what you do as a christian right They're just empty. They're just formal things you do, but they don't actually have any power to do them or in them, right? If Israel didn't do this, they would not be saved. Now, granted, we have rituals today. We have the benediction, baptism, Lord's table, preaching of the word and so forth. And they are not empty, but deeply, deeply significant, whereby we learn we take part in salvation by taking part in them by faith. Now, when Christ has come, he has has put away the Passover. He has fulfilled the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He is the true bread out of heaven. He is the Passover lamb, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world the Feast of Weeks, the Tabernacle, the the Prophet, Priest, King, Offices. He fulfills all those things. But God still gives us rituals whereby we can remember Him and actually not just remember Him, but have it assured to us that we truly are His. I have... I'm very excited. This is all by way of introduction. Very excited to preach this. We generally, even in the reform world, don't think highly of rituals. But as Israel would not have been saved without them, so we too can ask ourselves, who can have confidence that they're saved if they purposefully avoid God's means of grace? Avoid the Lord's table. Avoid worship on Sunday. I don't have to get baptized. Really, that's an option. We have such a such a low view of rituals, and I'm not. We're not bringing in icons or anything. <laughs> But this text definitely causes us to appreciate that when Christ says, such as in the Lord's table, that this is my body, this is my cup, the blood, he is with us, and that he truly is. So we're going to walk through this here. The Passover signified a spared people. The Passover signified a spared people. When God, in chapter 11, told Moses and Pharaoh and all his servants that he was going to come down and smite the firstborn of Pharaoh and the firstborn of the slave girl and the firstborn of the cattle, he was doing this against Egypt, even though he's holding Israel in a bit of a distinction. And we'll see about that distinction in a minute. But we have to understand here, Yahweh, when he would come to do this, was not changing who he was, is. When he comes in judgment to give just judgment, he gives just judgment on all who deserve it. And Israel is no Stand out blameless community. They also were impure people. They were not spotless. They were not innocent. Just because they were victims of 430 years of slavery doesn't mean that they were pure and that they did not need any substitute. Yahweh is a pure and simple, unchangeable being. And when he comes in judgment, judgment will fall on all those who deserve it. And there's nothing Israel can claim to say we don't deserve it just because we have been victimized. Nothing. So when he, he, he gives this in order that they would be distinct. He gives the Passover in order that they would be held in distinction. So what are some of the features of the Passover? First, this is amazing. The Passover itself marks a change in time. It marks a change in time. Verse 2, This month shall be for you the beginning of months it shall be the first month of the year for you. The Passover will be so important in the life of Israel that they will revolve their calendars around it. Their whole schema of time will revolve around one simple fact. We were spared That's their calendar headline. (laughs) We were spared January, February, March, all through the year as it being the beginning of months. So it means it is the most important month. It would be like us combining, and I'm not a Christian nationalist, 4th of July and Easter together, right? We have freedom and we have, our souls are purchased by Christ. (laughs) Resurrection. We have Easter resurrection. We have freedom. Imagine in some crazy, bizarre world, we would revolve our calendar and say, okay, actually the first month of the year, the most important month of the year, which dictates the rest of the year, we're going to be known by freed as freed people, spared people. That's what God wants them to know, that in creation and in redemption, there is a change in time. God has created time in creation, the sun, the moon, month, week. But for God's people, time will revolve around one simple fact, We were spared. We were spared. Also, also the Passover lamb marks a substitutionary death. Verses 23 and 27, I already read it, but the Lord will pass through, strike the Egyptians, and he would strike Israel if they didn't do this. Put the blood of the lamb on the lintel and on the two doorposts and the Lord will pass over those homes and not allow the destroyer in the house of the, to enter the houses and strike them. So why was the destroyer passing over the homes of the Hebrews? Because something else died instead of their firstborn. It didn't come free. Something else died in their firstborn son's stead, in, in place of him. And we could all just for a second imagine the whole lamb is roasted, it's put out on the table, and the, the family or families gather around the lamb and they think, That should be my son or that should be my brother. But it's not by virtue of a substitute. That lamb died in order for little Saul to live death life. God wasn't playing. He wasn't playing. The lamb marks a substitute sacrifice. A a sacrifice, thirdly, that is spotless. The Passover lamb marks a change in time, a substitutionary death, and a spotless victim. In exchange for a firstborn, God demands a spotless lamb, an unblemished lamb. And look, he gives him four days to pick it out. Verses two to six, he says, tell the congregation of Israel on the 10th day, start looking for a lamb. And you better look good because if you don't find a lamb, your son's gonna die. But start on the 10th day, And then by the 14th, you're going to observe the Passover. And you have those days in between to find a lamb, to prep that lamb, and to kill that lamb. And it has to be a blameless lamb. And it has to be a lamb that is a male. It has to be a year old. You can take it from the sheep. You can take it from the goats. Either one. But it has to be a male, a year old, and blameless Without blemish, spotless, pure, shows us that only what is perfect is acceptable to God. A spotless lamb. Only that could be killed in the place of the Son. Also, only the sinless can bear. The death of the sinful. The lamb laying on the table was a sinless, innocent, spotless lamb. And only it was acceptable to God as a payment instead of the death of the son, the firstborn. And lastly, the Passover meal consisted of eating a whole lamb. A whole lamb. It was not quartered out. wasn't beheaded. It was roasted. In verse 9, it was not eaten raw. It wasn't boiled in water. It was roasted. Likely because a roasting pit is far more faster and expedient on this Hasty night to do this than boil it in water, but they would not sever its head or legs or even its inner parts. They would roast it whole and eat it whole, and whatever was left they would burn up in the morning. It wouldn't be wasted at all. Israel would take part in the whole land. They wouldn't chop it up the whole lamb. The Apostle Paul draws a parallel to this when he tells the Corinthians because there is one bread speaking of the Lord's table, we who are many are one body for we all partake of one bread. What's the point of in the Lord's table one bread? That one bread all of Israel. Solidarity and unity of God's people. And so Israel would be eating the, the whole lamb together, showing they all have solidarity on this one single sacrifice under that roof. Sure, thousands of lambs were slaughtered that night, but the whole lamb was eaten This is. These are the directions. Just imagine a couple of Hebrews talking. These are the directions. This is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to kill a lamb. Abide by these silly rules. Male, year old, spotless. Why on this day, the fourteenth day? Why start looking on the tenth day? Why kill it at twilight? Why put the blood on the doorpost, lintel, the houses? conversation happens between two Jews. I don't know about this. I don't think this lamb is going to protect us from this destroyer. Have you seen what Yahweh has done to Egypt? He has decimated Egypt. He has brought blood on the Nile, turned it into blood, flies, locusts, gnats, pestilence, disease, hail, the lot, darkness, darkness, And the worst possible plague is coming and all our hopes on our uh, silly lamb? It's nonsensical. (laughs) You've got to be kidding me. That's what one Jew says. The other says, I don't know, but that's what we're told. I think we should do it. (laughs) I mean... Yahweh, who told us about all this stuff, is also telling us we're going to be saved through this. I think we should do it. Why? Well, I, I don't know. Like, I'm not very confident in this ritual. <laughs> They're people just like us. These are the conversations that take place. And what you have is you have strong, weak faith, both. And who would be spared from the death? Who would be spared from the destroyer? The one who doubted? The one who was confident of, hey, I don't get the lamb, I don't get the underst- I don't get the parallelism, I don't I don't understand all this stuff, but I'm gonna do it. And I'm confident in the Lord's words, who would be spared? they both would be spared. (laughs) As long as they did what God told them to do. Because it wasn't on the strength of their faith that dictated whether they would live or not, but on the blood of the lamb. The lamb covered them. Nothing in them. Nothing in them. They'd see the blood on the doorposts. They would know they have to walk through that doorway and say, We are. We're, we're bought people. We're spared people. They might even say, I don't even understand how this one lamb can atone for us, given the great wrath of God that we have seen. But it will. It's not unlike today. You all are sensible people. You talk with believers, -believers, non-believers. They say to you, you you believe in that stuff? You believe in that cross? That's kind of silly. I mean, if your God is all powerful and He's all wrath against sin... Are you sure that one cross is going to absolve you of all your sin? Just one? Shouldn't he have slaughtered a lot more people to kill to save you? No. Because the blood of Christ washes away all our sin and all the sin of the whole church. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Hebrews 10, 14. It might seem silly for a Jew to put all their hopes on a one-year-old little lamb. It's silly to many that we put all our hopes on one lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's quite amazing that John the Baptist saw Jesus walking and he said the very same thing. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He knew him. He was Yahweh's Passover lamb, and John knew it. He knew it. That Christ would bear the punishment of his people. And that is how the Christian is distinct. Not by any voting record, morality, church attendance. The blood of the lamb alone. Quoted this song off the top of my head, and I botched it last week. So, but this is this is a beautiful hymn. O Christ, what burdens bow thy head? Jehovah lifted up his rod. O Christ, it fell on thee. Thou was sore stricken of thy God. There's not one stroke for me. Thy tears, thy blood beneath it flowed, thy bruising healeth me. Him for me. Him for you. Jehovah bade his sword awake. O Christ, it woke against me. The song would go on to talk about how Christ, our Passover lamb, bore all our burdens, and what came out of his side was pure, flowing, cleansing grace. We don't have to deal with any of our sin anymore. Because even though it seems nonsensical to many, One lamb poured out its blood so that the destroyer would not come upon us. That's not the only salvation that will occur in this passage. That is how Israel is spared. The second festival, the second ritual... Is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and it signifies how God's people are pilgrims. We're spared people, and we're pilgrim people. We're people who don't face condemnation, and we're sojourning, following God people. So after Moses receives instruction about the first half of our passage this morning on the Passover, he then receives instruction on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is a week-long festival. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread is just as equally important, for if they did not do this, they were cut off from Israel. So first, notice that the Feast of Unleavened Bread recalls their slavery in Egypt in verse 16, on the first day you shall hold an assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone will be prepared for, by you. And then earlier, back when it was talking about the Passover, this bread was prepared with bitter herbs. No doubt the Feast of Unleavened Bread was permitting, or I should say prohibiting work, because it was a Sabbath week. It was a a seven-day long Sabbath. But also, no work shall be done on those days as a reminder that they have been working for approximately 400 years with no rest. So, and we're told that the bitter herbs remind them of their bitter time in slavery. The Feast of Unleavened Bread would remind them of a bitter, bitter history. How kind of the Lord to tell them to recall, remember the bad times. Remember the bad times. Don't just think about the good times. Anybody can think about the good times. Recall when you were in slavery. And understand this, I'm gonna give you no work for a week, and all you have to do is prepare yummy food. There's a lot of good food if you're not doing anything else but making food. No work. These would be marked, Israel would be marked as no longer working, slave-bound people, Hebrew, where Hebrew boys were thrown in the Nile and killed or they were told to make bricks again and again and again. No, this is a, this is a signification that God's people are people who are at rest. God gives his people rest. He doesn't make them work. He doesn't yell like, he, like Pharaoh, make bricks. no. He gives generously. Don't work. I want you to take a week off and not to work. You were enslaved for 400 years, 430 years, and I have brought you out. You are no longer enslaved to the enemy, you are now my people. So they recall their time in slavery. Also, the Feast of Unleavened Bread signifies God's people as pure people. God's people are not to be like the world in which they were saved out of and pulled out of. They're not to remain in the place where they are told to leave, but to be like the sacrifice that was given for them Spotless and undefiled. When God told when God told Moses and Pharaoh about the 10th plague and he said when this happens he will drive you out Israel was not only going to go but they weren't allowed to stay even if they wanted to. They were going. And as the Feast of Unleavened Bread shows them they are unleavened people. They're not leavened people, but unleavened people. Egypt was a leavened land, a impure land. And by calling them out of Egypt, he is saying, leave the leaven and impurity and come out pure Paul would apply this to the Corinthians. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are really unleavened for Christ. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And then he gives his command to the Corinthians, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Paul says this unleavened bread isn't just about leaving quickly, although it is about that. It is also about understanding you were saved in a leavened land, an impure, evil, wicked land, and I'm calling you out of that land. And if I'm calling you out of that land, you need to live like I'm calling you to be, pure, no longer malicious and evil, but as Paul says, sincere and truthful. And lastly, the Feast of Unleavened Bread signified their future sojourning. Yes, the Unleavened Bread meant a hasty exit. They were told they were going to leave, and they, were, they weren't even allowed to stay if they wanted to. But it told them they were going to be pilgrims. They're going to be walking and following God. From Ramses, where they poss- most likely were, all the way to the Promised Land, they were sojourning and they were exiles, people without a home, until they got to Canaan. And this unleavened bread feast reminded them that they are people who walk with God. They don't live in the world in which they're called out of. They walk with God. We have to understand that in verse 15 and in verse 19, why the harsh punishment if leaven is found in the houses? God says if leaven is found in the houses for a whole week or you cook with leaven, you will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whoa, 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 that's a little much, God. It's just leaven or yeast. What is the significance of the leaven? The significance of the unleavened bread is I'm taking my, this is a to-go order, kind of. <laughs> I'm taking my meal to go, and I walk with God as I go. I dine with Him. God is calling me out of Egypt, out of the world, and He's calling me to walk with Him by faith home. But home isn't around the corner. Home is... Well, a dead generation and 40 years later. <laughs> Home is a while away. Home is a long way off. But as he calls them out, this Feast of Unleavened Bread shows them that they walk with God. They're to be known as pilgrims. And again, we could, we could see two Jews talking to each other. This night has come and gone. Let's say it were, fast forward 100 years, all right, it's our January. It's time for the Passover. I don't know why I'm doing it, but I'm doing it. And now I gotta get rid of all the yeast or leaven in my home for a week. Why do, we, why do we do this again? Is this ritual, isn't it kind of old? Isn't it empty? I mean, we already are saved, right? the one who takes or keeps who removes eleven out of his home is the one who is saying i walk with god he has called me to be pure he has called me to follow him he has called me a pilgrim a sojourner and that's what i am i walk with him he has spared me and thus i walk with him We might see the person who kept leaven in the home is saying, like, huh, I'll keep it around. I like my bread better when it rises and it's fluffier and it's it tastes better that way. That person is saying with their actions, I don't want to follow God. I don't want to follow God. I don't really care that leaven means a transformed life from evil, malicious behavior to sincerity and truth. The actions would show to keep leaven around is to say, I'm okay living in a wicked world. I kind of like it here. Egypt doesn't sound that bad after all. And they had that. To remove the leaven out of the home would say, I'm following God. (laughs) Wherever he tells me to go, I'm going to go. Because I'm for him. And he has called me and made me his own. This, these rituals did not originate with Jews. They didn't just decided to say, hey, let's do something to commemorate this weird night. They originated in God and they were given to Israel for Israel to receive salvation. If Israel did not obey the regulations for the Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they would be cut off. That's how closely the ritual, the sign, and the thing that it signified, their deliverance, were interrelated. That's how closely it was. Now, we today are, I don't know, ritually numb. Um, I think there are some traditions in the body of Christ that get this better than others. But generally speaking, I think most Christians think rituals are just empty. Why am I taking the Lord's table? Why... Why get baptized? Um, Why go to church on Sunday? It's football season. (laughs) Why do I want to do that stuff? Pure and simple devotion to Christ is just loving Him and receiving Him by faith. It's not trapped with all these religious decorations and things. Is it? I think we need to reevaluate our rituals, our signs, or I should say God signs, and understand that observing them is akin to taking part in Christ. To partake in the symbol is to partake in the thing it signifies. To partake in baptism isn't just about getting wet. It is to partake in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. To partake in the Lord's table is to partake in a gracious, reminder, I should say foretaste, of the grand, beautiful wedding feast that will happen in the new heavens and the new earth. Generations would describe taking the Lord's table like this. Christ is really presented to us, and faith really takes him in closes with him, lodges him in the soul, makes him an indweller. And the soul has spiritual communion with him in his life and death, as if, and there's mystery right there, and as if, I'm not saying we have it all figured out, but there is mystery, as if we really did eat his flesh and drink his blood presented to us in the elements. It's more than a memorial. It is a memorial. But it's more than just a memorial. The benediction, another ritual, is more than a guy in a jacket raising his arms and saying something nice about God's people. If Benedict, just a side tangent, if benedictions were only that, there's no reason to wrestle about them in the Old Testament. <laughs> and brothers conniving, figuring out how to rob the blessing of their other brother from their father, if it is just an empty word. Blessings matter. And God uses very, 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 very fallen instruments, pastors, ministers, symbols to communicate his great, great love for his people. If Israel didn't observe they, these rituals, they would be cut off and the destroyer would have st- st- smitten their firstborn. And it is true that Christ has fulfilled the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Passover, all of these things. But God has not put away these signs. He's giving us these signs so that we know we are actually taking part in Him. And our faith is not in some invisible person, but in someone who, though invisible, communicates through experiential ways. Let's attend to God's rituals and his signs, but let's not observe them without faith. And regarding this faith, we can't be overly introspective. I don't know if I'm worthy. I had a bad week, whatever it may be. The point of of the signs is to stop overly introspective Christians from looking within to looking without and say, you know, I've learned again. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's about the lamb and who he covers and taking part in the Lord's table, the preaching of the word, the benediction, the Lord's service, whatever it may be, is saying, bless me, Lord. Bless me. I have no other hope in my life Than for you to bless me. (laughs) Jacob's wrestling match wasn't just an MMA event. (laughs) He, with a righteous, godly desire, wanted Yahweh to bless him because he knew that is all that mattered. That is all that mattered. Will Yahweh pardon me, bless me, or will he not? And and these signs, even taken in faith, say, I'm taking part in Christ and all of his benefits for me. I'm taking part in Christ. I'm not... It's a mystery. I don't fully understand it all. But to go on in church life and just say, pop the cracker, drink the juice, attend worship, whatever it may be. To put it one way, Israel did it as if their life depended on it. They did it, they did the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, as if their very lives depended on it. Because it did. And ours, even though many rituals have been done away with, he still gives them to us. And we should partake knowing Christ said, wherever two or three are gathered, I am there in their midst. It doesn't have to be the Shekinah glory firing off or Fourth of July fireworks or anything like that. Christ makes himself present through what we would just call the ordinary means of grace, which is quite extraordinary. I mean, you got a, a, a flubbering preacher up here talking. You have. Wonderful people. I love all you saints. But fairly normal people. And and God is present in this meeting? Yes. He is very present. Very present. So let's not be overly introspective. Let's not make it about the strength of our faith. But let us do understand Christ is set forth as God's sign, the ritual. He is the ladder in which angels descend and ascend on. He is the bronze serpent that was put forth, raised up on a pole. He is the priest, the Messiah, the Lord, the King, the prophet. And we have all our trust and hope in him. But he also says, I will be with you when you take the Lord's table. I will be among you when you exercise church discipline. I will be among you when you gather together. As many as two or three. Just two or three. (laughs) Let's see Christ set forth as God's ritual, the true Passover lamb, the pure bread, and in partaking of him, we partake of his signs. Let's pray.